0: Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. Your Southern Mysteries is an independent podcast. It's made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. So if you'd like to help, you can join Southern Mysteries on Patreon and you get a little something in return. You can hear more than 60 episodes in the Southern Mysteries archive, and you also have an option to support the show and hear exclusive monthly episodes that are new this year called The Lesser Knowns stories of lesser known figures related to major historical events. Join me on Patreon today and catch up on all the episodes you haven't heard at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. (music) Kenneth New loved two things, music and himself. He was a talented singer and dreamed of becoming a star with his name in newspapers and his voice on the radio. New would get his wish in the 1930s when people from New York City to New Orleans heard the name Kenneth New on radio reports and saw his name and photos printed in newspapers. The headlines featured news that he had confessed to two murders. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring the history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the story of the singing slayer of the South. Lewis Kenneth New, who was known as Kenneth, was born in Queens, New York in 1910. When Kenneth was six years old, his family moved to Savannah, Georgia. Tragically, within two years... His mother died. His father remarried, and there was tension at home. Kenneth and his stepmother were constantly at odds, and by the time he was 13, there were concerns about his mental state. He was said to exhibit extreme behaviors. His father believed the Army could help, but New suffered a head injury when he dove in shallow water during a training exercise. Two months later, Kenneth New was discharged into the custody of his father due to the Army classifying him as unfit for duty because of his quote, permanent psychosis. He returned to Savannah in 1927 and within weeks was committed to the Milledgeville, Georgia Lunatic Asylum, where he remained for two years. New's father, Lewis, later explained the decision to confine his son at Milledgeville was difficult, but had to happen, because his son was unquestionably mentally unsound. Doctors at Milledgeville told Mr. New his son could be cured, but he doubted it, saying his inability to control his temper was one of the evidences of his insanity. Now, when Kenneth New walked out of the Milledgeville Asylum, he left Georgia, and by late 1932, he was married to a woman named Cecile, and they were living in Key West, Florida, with their two children. In early 1933, Kenneth and Cecile were caught stealing a car. When officers moved in to arrest them, the couple put on a little impromptu song and dance show in the streets right in front of the police. Despite that display of unity and fun, Kenneth and Cecile have been struggling with their relationship. Kenneth was known to sleep around on Cecile, and he had been diagnosed with syphilis. A few months after their arrest, Kenneth New abandoned his family to pursue his dream of becoming a star. Kenneth New was 26 years old, with dark hair and eyes and movie star good looks that made women swoon, especially when he turned on that Southern charm. He used his good looks and charm to get what he wanted. Within months of splitting with his wife, he would charm a married woman into abandoning her family and would murder two men By early September 1933, Kenneth New was in New York City trying to land a starring role on Broadway. Finding legitimate and respectable work in the theater proved difficult for New. The Great Depression had a hold on the entire country, and when he could pick up a job somewhere, it was often in speakeasies that were not considered respectable due to their connection with organized crime. Kenneth New kept auditioning and losing out on jobs. By September 2nd, he was so desperate for money, he started panhandling on the Great White Way. A passerby noticed him, complimented him on his voice, gave him some cash, and introduced himself as 35-year-old theater operator Lawrence Sheed, He told New he may be able to help. He managed theaters and might have a job for him. To be clear, Lawrence Sheed operated movie theaters. There was no role in a show. New just heard theater and instantly agreed to talk about the possibility of a paying job. Sheed invited New to his apartment in Patterson, New Jersey, saying they could talk along the way and hopefully connect with some of Sheed's friends at one of his theaters. The men stopped to buy a pint of whiskey and rye, and by 11 p.m. had stopped in at a movie theater, where Sheed introduced Kenneth New as his friend from down south. Sheed's friends praised Lawrence and told Kenneth New how successful this man was. They would later say they found New likable and loved hearing him talk. They couldn't get enough of that southern accent. Sheed and New left the theater and headed to Sheed's apartment where they spent hours talking and drinking. Neighbors would say they heard a commotion in the apartment around 3 a.m., but didn't think much of it. Days later, Kenneth New would make a full confession, telling police his version of what happened in Lawrence Sheed's apartment the night he was murdered. New claimed that around 3 a.m., Lawrence Sheed poured him another drink, approached him, and made what New called an aggressively indecent advance. When New realized Lawrence Sheed was gay, he, quote, flipped out at Sheed's aggressive behavior. New said he knocked Lawrence Sheed down, grabbed him by the throat, and bludgeoned him over the head with an electric clothes iron. Kenneth New looted everything he could carry out of Lawrence Sheed's apartment, his wallets, watch, all of his clothes and shoes, along with the keys to Sheed's black and yellow Chevy that New used to flee New Jersey. A few days later, police found Lawrence Sheed's car abandoned in Charlotte, North Carolina. Eighteen hours after Kenneth New fled New Jersey, Patterson detectives were standing in Lawrence Sheed's apartment trying to piece together what really happened to this successful and respected man. Lawrence Sheed was discovered naked in his bed. The coroner noted Sheed had likely been asleep when he was struck in the head with a blunt object, the electric iron found near his body. His attacker struck him so many times with such force, there was blood all over the walls, his furniture, and blood covered Sheed's bed. It was a gruesome crime scene that told a different story about this murder than Kenneth knew told in his confession. Based on neighbors' accounts and their description of the man seen entering Lawrence Sheed's apartment, Along with descriptions of the man with Sheed at the theater on the night he died, police believed this was the man who killed Lawrence Sheed. All they had to go on was he was a five foot seven man with dark hair and a Southern accent. And This was a sensational crime. Lawrence Sheed's murder was widely reported in area newspapers, with many references to a male suspect who was quote at an intimate gathering with Sheed in his apartment. In the 1930s, that was the way newspapers implied someone was gay, which was true of Lawrence Sheed. He was a closeted gay man, and the newspapers used that kind of language. It was common and dangerous because it implied Lawrence Sheed got what he deserved. Lawrence Sheed was separated from his wife at the time of his murder, but his brother traveled quickly to Patterson, New Jersey. His presence there was a reminder that Lawrence Sheed was a victim of a horrible crime, and his family wanted justice for him. While they were waiting for word about who had killed Lawrence Sheed, Kenneth knew had fled south, where he would soon encounter his next victim. When New fled New Jersey, he initially planned to drive home to Savannah, but somewhere along the way, he changed his mind. He abandoned Sheed's car in North Carolina and caught a train to the Big Easy. He arrived in New Orleans late on September 13th and checked into a hotel under the name of Joseph Monroe from Key West, Florida. He spent the night drinking at a local bar and by early the next morning had checked out of his hotel, walked to the corner of Dauphine and Canal Streets, and checked into the DeSoto Hotel as Bill Williams of Jacksonville, Florida. On the afternoon of September 14th, Kenneth New walked into a pawn shop on Canal Street where he pawned Lawrence Sheed's watch and used the money to buy a blackjack. This is a weapon made of heavy leather that was filled with lead. Blackjacks were commonly used by criminals in tight quarters. New figured it would be good to have in case he needed to defend himself or perhaps convince someone to give him money. New again spent the night drinking. And the following morning on September 15th, as he was walking through the lobby of his hotel, he met Mrs. Eunice Hody. Eunice was a married woman with a five-year-old daughter. She was working at the hotel and was immediately taken in by Kenneth New's charm and good looks. They went to a movie and dinner that evening where New learned Eunice was bored with her life, wanted some adventure and fun. The two agreed to meet up again and spend more time together throughout the weekend. On Saturday morning, Kenneth New was waiting to meet up with Eunice and decided to rest in the lobby of the Young Hotel on Canal Street. A gentleman sat down beside him. The two began to talk about New Orleans, politics, international affairs. They got along. They sat in the lobby talking for over an hour before the man said he needed to return to his room and write some letters. As he stood to leave, he introduced himself as Sheffield Clark from Nashville. Kenneth New offered his real name and said he was from points back east. When New met up with Eunice Hody, he sweet-talked her and convinced her to leave town with him so they could start a new life together. She agreed, and they made arrangements for their departure They agreed Eunice would be packed and ready to leave New Orleans early Sunday morning, September 17th. As Kenneth New was walking back to his hotel, it hit him. He was almost out of money. He took a walk down Canal Street, tried to clear his head and brainstorm ideas to get some quick cash. On his walk, he remembered the man he met in the hotel lobby, that man, Sheffield Clark. He was a gentleman, and you figured this guy would have a wad of cash on him, and he had caught a glimpse of Clark's hotel key. He knew where to find him. Sheffield Clark was the owner of Sheffield Clark and Company Manufacturers Agents, whose company represented dozens of hardware manufacturers. He was successful and well-known around New Orleans, a city he loved for work And for fun. The 62-year-old veteran of the Spanish-American War was well-liked, especially in the Big Easy, where he felt comfortable being himself. Sheffield Clark, like Lawrence Sheed, was gay. Kenneth New walked into the young hotel and took the elevator to the sixth floor. He made his way to room 657, knocked on the door, and there was Sheffield Clark. He invited New into his room and mentioned he had packed some moonshine in his suitcase and offered New a glass. They talked for a few minutes, and Kenneth New got straight to the point. He explained he was in a desperate situation and needed money, asked for Sheffield Clark's help so he could leave New Orleans quickly. When Clark said he couldn't help, Kenneth New threatened him. That's when Clark ordered New to leave his room and stood up and reached for the telephone. Kenneth New pulled his blackjack from his jacket, struck Clark repeatedly, and grabbed him by the throat as Clark fell over the bed. New would later say he wasn't sure how many times he struck Sheffield Clark, but he soon realized the man was dead. New removed Clark's shoes covered him up on the bed and arranged him so it would look like he was sleeping if someone walked in. New then stole the $49 in cash Clark had in his pockets and took the keys to his car and his parking lot ticket. New realized he had blood on his hands, so he washed up and changed into one of Clark's shirts and stepped into Clark's brown and white shoes as he left the room and drove Sheffield Clark's brand-new Chevrolet to Eunice Hody's house he told her they needed to leave New Orleans that night instead of the next morning by midnight they were on the road they drove from New Orleans to Charleston South Carolina where they stopped for a night at a tourist camp the next morning knowing police would be looking for Clark's car Kenneth New removed the Tennessee license plate and put a cardboard sign on the plate that read, New Car in Transit. They drove through South Carolina, North Carolina, onto Richmond, Virginia, where they once again stopped for a night of rest. The next day, as they drove through Philadelphia, New stopped to pick up a 19-year-old hitchhiker named Harold Parks. Kenneth New was pulled over near the Holland Tunnel in New Jersey because Highway Patrol noticed that odd license plate. An officer wrote down the vehicle ID and realized it matched the number that had been broadcast by New Orleans police. The car belonged to a murder victim that had been discovered in his room at Young Hotel. When the officer walked back to the car and asked about the odd plate, Kenneth New tried to make an excuse. But when the officer looked down at New's clothes and saw blood, Kenneth New lightheartedly said, the officer had him dead to rights. And he made a deal with the officer, told him if he would take him in and give him the chance to wash up and feel fresh again, he'd have a sensational story for the police. Kenneth New, Eunice Hody and Harold Parks were arrested. Police spoke with Hody and Parks and quickly realized They were confused, completely unaware, and a little afraid that they had been traveling with a killer. They were both released. The moment a detective began questioning Kenneth New, he smiled and confessed to killing Lawrence Sheed and Sheffield Clark. He even pointed out that the suit he was wearing was Lawrence Sheed's, and his shoes were Sheffield Clark's. Detectives later said that as they listened to Kenneth New confess to both murders, they were certain this was the most cold-blooded killer they had ever encountered. Despite his confession, there was concern about where to try Kenneth New. He was arrested and indicted for the murder of Lawrence Sheed in New Jersey. Louisiana wanted him for the murder of Sheffield Clark. In the end, Kenneth New was extradited to Louisiana after prosecutors in New Jersey learned New's defense attorney would be able to make a strong case for self-defense if New stood trial for the murder of Lawrence Sheed. New's attorney planned to pursue what was commonly called the gay panic defense. Mainstream society in the 1930s did not recognize sexualities or gender identities As far as society was concerned, you were either straight or gay. If you were gay, you were considered a criminal, in danger of being arrested because more and more parts of the country were creating sex crime laws. The gay panic defense put people in danger. It was used to defend assault or murder involving gay victims or someone perceived to be gay. It further victimized someone by essentially blaming them for causing their own injury or death for the defendant's violent reaction to unwanted advances or perceived advances. Because Kenneth New had claimed in his confession that Lawrence Sheed made an unwanted, indecent advance, prosecutors in New Jersey felt a jury would likely sympathize with Kenneth New's violent reaction, despite their evidence showing Lawrence Sheed had been violently attacked as he slept in his bed. The state of New Jersey felt that extraditing Kenneth New to Louisiana to face trial for Sheffield Clark's murder was their best chance for justice and ensuring Kenneth New would never kill again. New had been called the most cold-blooded killer detectives had ever interviewed. But when he walked into the Orleans Parish Courthouse for his trial on December 12th, 1933, women swooned and waved to him outside the courthouse. When he walked into the courtroom wearing a suit stolen from Lawrence Sheed and shoes stolen from Sheffield Clark, more women were waiting to get a glimpse of him and show their support. Throughout his trial, Kenneth New was a clown and a showman, joking around with his lawyers and guards, singing songs as he was led in and out of court. He smiled as he sketched the judge and showed off his artistic skills in the courtroom. He just didn't seem to care that he was facing capital murder charges in Louisiana. He focused on the headlines that included his name, along with the photos of him singing. He had been dubbed the singing slayer. And everyone wondered, was this man insane? Or was he playing the role of a lifetime? In jailhouse interviews, Kenneth New said he didn't want a defense attorney and was, quote, fit as a fiddle and ready to hang. But his father hired a defense team to try to save his son from the gallows. Defense Attorney Clarence Dowling told the jury Kenneth New was, quote, mentally defective and insane when he killed Sheffield Clark. Dowling claimed New continued to suffer the effects of his skull injury sustained in the Army. Several doctors testified that upon examination of Kenneth New, they found him mentally defective with one doctor saying he knew within five minutes of meeting Kenneth New that he was not sane. Dowling told the jury that from the moment Kenneth New left the asylum, his actions showed he was abnormal, from stealing a car in Florida and dancing in front of the police to confessing to the murder of two men. He further argued New was mentally damaged by syphilis, With one doctor testifying, Kenneth New was suffering from syphilitic insanity, which caused him to lose his temper and made him unable to make rational decisions. New's indictment for murder in New Jersey was alluded to in the prosecution's case. The jury learned New had confessed to another murder before he came to New Orleans and killed Sheffield Clark. Dow encountered that the man in New Jersey, this Lawrence Sheed, had essentially forced Kenneth New to murder him when he repeated New's claim that he was resisting an indecent advance from Sheed and reacted in anger, which led to Sheed's death. In this case, Kenneth New's gay panic defense backfired when Assistant District Attorney Jay Koch made a disturbing statement to the jury. Koch argued Kenneth New reacted the way any man would. New claimed a man made a pass at him, and he responded with violence. Koch looked at the jury and said New's response showed he was normal and sane at the time of the murder of Lawrence Sheed. Two doctors who examined New for the state testified they found him to be sane. And it was clear he was sane at the time of the murder of Sheffield Clark because he knew right from wrong. Koch told the jury news attempt to clean the scene of Sheffield Clark's murder showed he was of sound mind. And it was a horrific scene. Assistant Coroner Dr. George Hauser testified Sheffield Clark's death was caused by strangulation, hemorrhage, shock, and a fracture to the skull. After viciously murdering Sheffield Clark, New had cleaned up the room and covered Clark's body with sheets and blankets, so it appeared he was sleeping in his bed. A clerk at the hotel testified most of the staff knew Mr. Clark because he was a regular visitor and had been for years. The morning he was discovered in his room, maids had visited the room several times, but it appeared Sheffield Clark was sleeping. So they left. One of the maids became suspicious because Mr. Clark usually didn't sleep in. Something just seemed off. A night manager came to inspect the room, and when he couldn't wake up Shuffled Clark, called in police, who initially saw no blood. But an officer testified that when he pulled the covers back, he saw Clark's beaten body and pillows and sheets covered in Clark's blood. The state asked the jury to find Kenneth New guilty and send him to the gallows as a desperate and conscienceless criminal. The jury deliberated five hours and returned a verdict of guilty. When Kenneth New was sentenced to die by hanging, he didn't miss a beat. He asked photographers to snap some photos of him as he was led out of the courtroom, he smiled and sang that original song he had written for his trial, fit as a fiddle and ready to hang. The day before he was executed, Kenneth knew basked in the attention of a jailhouse interview. He shared he planned to wake up at 8 a.m. on the day of his execution so he would have time to shave, bathe, and prepare his soul for God. Plus, he needed time to sing a few songs for people he had learned to love in prison before his voice was silenced. On the day of his execution, February 1st, 1935, Kenneth New received a telegram from his father. It read, God be with you till we meet again. At noon, New was led to the gallows He wore Sheffield Clark's shoes and Lawrence Sheed's suit. He held a gardenia in his hand and as the executioner placed a noose around his neck, New began singing his song, I'm fit as a fiddle and ready to hang. He jokingly performed a quick dance on the steel trap door and then said he was ready to die. As the hood was placed over his head, Kenneth New was still mindful of his movie star good looks his final words don't muss my hair at 1205 p.m. the hangman pulled the lever at 1224 p.m. a doctor declared the singing slayer dead three people attended his burial in the cemetery at Louisiana State Prison at Angola two nuns from the Sisters of Charity, and an unidentified woman. When reporters asked the local sheriff who the pretty woman was, all he said was that she had paid for the funeral and did not want to be named. For years, this woman was seen tending to Kenneth New's grave, and her identity remained a mystery for more than a decade. The circumstances that led to her identification were tragic. On June 24, 1950, police were called to the home of a woman who was found dead in her bed. The investigation revealed she had taken her life by overdosing with sleeping pills. Her name was Aline Hull. She left a note that explained her connection to Kenneth New. Hull had been married and widowed before she was 20 years old. Her husband had left her a substantial amount of money and being a devout Catholic, she tried to use the money to help people. Through her work with the Sisters of Charity, Aline Hull met Kenneth New. She explained her intentions were pure. She just wanted to help people. But she realized her good works and desire to help someone had somehow turned to love. Something she wrestled with. The two exchanged letters and Kenneth New made it clear in his own diary that he was in love with this woman. Aline Hull begged Kenneth New to convert, wanted him to save his soul. She promised to mourn him when he was gone and it seems she kept her word, despite wrestling with the fact that she fell in love with the singing slayer. When Kenneth New stood on the gallows, holding a white gardenia in his hands, no one knew the hangman had made a promise to a pretty young woman. She had begged him to give the gardenia to New and retrieve it once he was dead. When police searched... Aline Hull's apartment, they found a prayer book. Inside, they found a flower that had been pressed between the pages, a white gardenia. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. As always, you can view photos and sources for this episode in the show notes at southernmysteries.com. Special thanks to my Southern Mysteries patrons who help make this independent podcast possible, including some of our newest patrons. Jamie from Octaha, Oklahoma. Jamie, I hope I said that the right way. Caroline from Mountain View, Hawaii. Susie from Creston, California, Jans from Crevecore, Illinois, Sean from Norwich in Ontario, Canada, and patrons from mysterious locations. Natalia, Elizabeth, Therese, Margaret Ann, and Nicole. When you join Southern Mysteries on Patreon, like these amazing folks have, you get access to exclusive content. As a thanks for your support, you hear the Southern Mysteries archive of more than 60 episodes. There's also an option to hear Patreon-exclusive episodes called The Lesser Knowns and the archive of exclusive Patreon Southern Mysteries shorts. There are a lot of stories there to keep you occupied for a while. So if you want to check it out, it's easy to opt in and out of Patreon. Uh, You don't have to listen through the Patreon app. You'll get a a, a private RSS feed, so you can add that to the app that you love the most. It's super easy. Join today. Learn all about it at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. There's also a link uh, very easy to find at southernmysteries.com. And I can't say this enough. I know I know not everyone can support this podcast, uh, you know, financially. Listening to this show, you know, leaving a rating or a review where you're listening, sharing it on social, it's another way to give and help Southern Mysteries as an independent podcast because you help promote the show and let other people know about it doesn't cost you a dime. Just want to throw that out there because that means a lot too when you share about the show. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for listening to Southern Mysteries.